outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 408. And today in the show, I am joined by Nick Pinizzotto and Hank Forrester of the National Deer Association to discuss the future of the Back 40 property. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today in the show, like I mentioned, we are talking back 40. We're talking the future of the back 40. And I'm excited to dive into this in a real substantial way because, oh, this past fall, we gave you some light details, told you a little bit about what's going on, but today we get to really flesh it out and tell that story. And I want to start from the very beginning quickly here and and then bring you all the way to present day. Uh, but before we get into that, I have got to, I've got to lead with the punchline, I guess, which is that because we're so excited about this story of of what's been going on with the Back Forty Project, that's the property that we bought at Mediator that we've been managing and documenting and sharing that story over the last two years, and and now we're passing it on. That story we're so excited about, especially this next chapter, that we wanted to kind of throw a celebration and this celebration we're calling the back 40 to fork giveaway and what we mean by that is that we are doing a whole big old giveaway over on the mediator website in which we are going to be making all of you folks that want to sign up for that that can sign up for this available to get your hands on a first light kit a weatherby rifle uh, federal premium ammo, I think up to $500 worth of federal premium ammo, uh, a Benchmade meat crafter knife, a lifetime membership to Onyx, uh, FHF bino harness, Vortex optics, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Plus, the three winners of this little sweepstakes deal, each of them will get to nominate a new hunter to get a special new hunter gear package too. So if nothing else today... Go on over to TheMeatEater.com slash fork to sign up for that giveaway and to learn more about all the stuff we're going to be talking about today. You'll be able to watch a video about this stuff that documents the story you're going to get to hear. You'll be able to get more details, sign up, see all the rules and the specifics. All that stuff's at TheMeatEater.com slash 
fork. And FYI, on this contest, uh, I believe the dates are, it opens February 22nd, 2021, and it ends March 4th, 2021. So just FYI on that one. Now, let's get back to that story. Let's get back to why I'm why we really, why we are also excited about this. The story begins with us, you know, deciding to do this back 40 project. We decided to buy a farm and we are going to try to steward this place. We are going to try to improve it, manage it, nurture it, learn about it, fix this property up to be a great representation of what you can have when you manage for deer and other wildlife and hunting. Can you get all those things together in the same place? And then can you share that with people? Can you bring other folks out to learn from this place? That's the the experiment we are trying to run with the back 40 and and really this the the whole experience for me really bloomed into this this idea of sharing because as as the years progress from the first year to the second we progressively invited more and more people out there first it was consultants and then it was friends and family members and then it was new hunters and getting their feet on the ground and getting them to to see the place and learn from the place and teach us things on this landscape and showcasing what can be done out here and inviting new hunters. We got uh, two new hunters out there who, who'd never killed a deer before. And we had a couple other people that are relatively new out there. And it was just an, it was just a really, really cool experience. So coming out of all of that, um, we wanted to find more ways to continue this journey and to continue being able to share the back 40 with other people. And back when, gosh, I can't remember the exact date, but when we were originally trying to figure out, like, how do we decide the future for the back 40? How do we figure out how to pass this thing along? Because from the get-go, we weren't going to keep this property to ourselves forever. It was always going to be a temporary thing. And then we were going to give it away. We were going to pass it on to someone or something in a way that could continue our mission, hopefully in a way that would protect this landscape and the animals and, and keep good things happening on this ground. And after a lot of brainstorming and spitballing, we ended up realizing that there was an organization out there who was doing many of the exact same things we were trying to do on the Back 40, but they were doing it at a much wider scale. And they had found ways to uh, build systems around how you teach people about this stuff and how you can bring new hunters into the fold. And that organization was the National Deer Association, formerly known as the Quality Deer Management Association. And in, you know, in addition to all the great hunting and management and deer-related advocacy work that they do, they also spawned this uh, new hunter recruitment program called Field to Fork, which has gotten a lot of great um, momentum around what it's doing. This this program they have, which is helping bring you know adult onset hunters out into these wild landscapes and pairing them with mentors and developing educational experiences where these relationships build and you actually get people to stick with this hunting thing. That's what they've done really, really well. And we got to thinking, what could the Back 40 do if we brought it along for the National Deer Association to use as a resource? And there was a lot of cool things that came out of that idea. So long story short, as most of you know, we've already announced it in the past, but most of you know that we have decided to donate the Back 40 property to the NDA. And we've done that so that they can use it as a resource as a hub for new hunter education and new hunter mentorship programs. That's what's happening. We're very excited about it. 
good things are going to be happening on these 64 acres for years to come. And, and I'm personally thrilled about that. And it's a story that we're excited to continue telling. We're going to continue documenting what's going on out there in partnership with the NDA. And that's what today's conversation is all about. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of what the NDA sees on this property is as far as what the future could look like, how they plan to use it, how they plan to share it with other people, what kind of programs they're going to put on there, um, how they are going to document it, how we are going to do things with them. Um, all of that is discussed in detail. We actually had an opportunity to get Nick and Hank out on the property at the very end of last year to see it. I gave them a tour. We hunted one evening, and uh, we're going to share the story of that too. So, it's a great chat. These are great guys. The National Deer Association is doing some really good things, and we're just very excited that we can be a part of that now and that the Back 40 can continue in a really positive way. So that's what we've got in store. I will stop rambling. I will just kick it over now to our conversation with Nick Pinizzotto, who's the CEO and president of the NDA, and Hank Forrester, the director of Hunting Heritage. All right, with me now on the line, I've got Nick Pinizzotto and Hank Forrester from the National Deer Association. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time to be here. Thanks for thank having you, us. Mark. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we can reunite here after what was a, a really fun get-together, I don't know, a month and a half ago now on the Back 40. Um and that's definitely something I want to talk about here today is is that time we shared together on the farm. Uh, but as I mentioned in the introduction that you guys didn't get to hear yet, but everybody else did, um, you know, I personally and the meat eater team as a whole is just really, really excited about this next chapter for the back 40 because we we had so many ideas and dreams and hopes for what this property could be, what this project could be. And we had two years to, to leave as much of a mark as we personally could in our time. But there's just so much more that I've always imagined that could be done with this place and that this place could be used for. And so when it came down to thinking about, okay, what's the right future? What's the right what's the right opportunity to, to guide and steward this place in the coming years? You guys from the get go, I can even remember where I was. I was sitting on the second story floor of the meat eater headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. And we were talking about this. And I remember when the idea popped in my, in my head and I said, Oh, this, this is it. We have to give it to the quality deer management association, which is now the national deer association. I remember having this little epiphany and that just, it just seemed like this pie in the sky, amazing thing that if it could happen, it would be great. But right away, people are saying, well, what about this? What about this? And, and the fact that it actually has happened and that we're here talking about this now is personally satisfying for me, but I'm curious to hear what it's like on your end. Nick, uh, where's your head on this? Like how, how, what do you guys think about what this project looks like, what this opportunity looks like. And what did you think when you first heard about it? Was this something, uh, I guess I won't put words in your mouth. What do you think about all this? Yeah, well, first, I'm glad you had that epiphany. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's, it's really interesting because my first conversation about the potential for this was about the time that we were talking about merger. QDMA and NDA, and I was having uh, some pretty deep discussions with the team 
about where we're headed in our, in our future. And a, a huge, huge part of those discussions is the, the importance of uh, keeping up our momentum that we have going on on R3 initiatives. We talked a ton about Field to Fork, and we talked even more specifically about the Back 40 and a, and a partnership with, with Meat Eater. And, you know, at that time, it was still, I think it was, it was still pretty much just a vision. It was an idea. And it, it hadn't happened yet. It wasn't real. But even at that point, it's just it's something that just made an awful lot of sense. And so, but you know, we've all seen many things that make a lot of sense that for whatever reason never never make it to fruition. But then in our conversations as as, as things kind of rolled along, um, it, it just looked more and more positive in terms of where I'm at. Um, you know, the back forty is a it is a real place. We've set foot on it. And you know, for many of us it is a it is a physical place that we touch. But I think bigger than that is I think the back forty is it's an idea. I think it's a way forward. And I think that's our challenge now is to let's take this place that, that only a small percentage of us will, will ever touch and make that the place that that people can, you know, make it their place. And maybe this, you know, this is a property somewhere on the other side of the country. So I think I think it's the back 40 is an idea and, and we're looking forward to to really making people feel like it's in their own backyard. Mm, yeah, I want to unpackage a bunch of stuff you said there, but but I want to take a winding path to get to that point. Uh, real quick, Hank, would you add anything as far as your perspective on how you're how you're feeling about this? Uh, we'll get into all the details of what it's going to look like, but I'm just kind of curious where your head's at. Hey, I feel un- it's unfair that I have to follow that. Uh, you know, Nick <laughs> Nick summed it up right there um, very beautifully. And and no, I mean, you know, from our earliest conversations about this, it was a dream, um, and, and is now is is a reality. Um, it's it's an absolute honor, and and we are super appreciative of the gift and and the opportunity that comes along with it. Um, you know, when we started down the path of build a fork in Athens in 2016, and and started to get a little traction, you know, uh, meat eater, you know, food focused hunter recruitment. I mean, it, it was, it was our pie in the sky, um, partner. And so, so really from both sides, it's, uh, it's, it's something that seemed like a dream and now it's a reality and, and we're really appreciative of well, the opportunity. Well, right back at you guys. I know, um, it's, it's a two way thing. So while we're gifting you guys, the property, uh, you guys are gifting us a sense of um, comfort in knowing that this, it's kind of like I'm giving you my baby in a certain sense. And just the sense of trust and comfort I have knowing that my baby's in the right hands and that the future is is bright, um, that's a huge gift to me and to Meat Eater. So for that, I thank you guys as well. Um so, so what I want to get into here soon is, is talking about some of your specific, you know, plans for the property, plans for events, plans for how, you know, we together and you guys can, can use this back 40 to be more than just a physical place, but also this idea of a place and this inspiration to others. Uh, but, but first things first, we actually got to see the farm. You got to see the farm in December. Uh, I invited the both of you to come join me at the very end of the year to to see the farm, to tour the farm, 
uh, to hunt a couple days if if we needed them, uh, try to fill a couple doe tags. Uh, so first impressions of the property, first and foremost, you, you, you've seen the videos, but then you actually got to get your feet on the ground. Uh, Nick, first take on the property. What do you think after having set foot there? Yeah, I mean, that was you introducing us to the baby. Um, <laughs> yep. So, uh, it, it, and, and let's be sure you have you have full visitation rights whenever you want to. <laughs> um, okay, good. It, it, it's uh, it was interesting because, as you said, we'd seen the videos. We obviously had seen every episode of of the Back Forty, and so there was this sense that when we first pulled up and stepped out there, it, it felt like you'd been there before. And that just speaks to how well uh, you all did with, with producing the show. But, you know, I'd say the one thing that kind of struck me um, for the size of the property, uh, 63, 64 acres, uh, it felt bigger than that. And so when we went on the initial tour, that's sometimes you have properties that are really big, but maybe they don't feel like they're as big or they sort of hunt small, so to speak. I thought that it was. I thought that it hunted big. That there was plenty of area. Uh, we could have. We could have fit uh, two or three more people out there hunting that evening. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was my first impression. And I. I think another another thing uh, that stood out quickly is that it's. It's. It. It reminded me that this is a, a piece of property that sits in a landscape with other pieces of property, and what people doing around you matters, and what influence the back 40 has had on some of the neighbors there. So I thought um, that was another thing that, uh, that I came home with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good point. It's an interesting point. And I, and I a hundred percent agree with you in that it, it does feel bigger than what you might imagine. And, and that was even without, you know, we didn't even touch half the farm with the swamp and all the cover there. We didn't, we didn't see half the farm at all. And so, you know, imagine what's going on, in all that. So that, that's what I've always loved about it is it, is it, it's kind of compartmentalized in different regions. And I feel like with, with further management, those old fields, as they continue to be improved and changed, I just feel it expanding. It's going to feel even bigger and bigger as those open spaces become more diverse and filled out in different ways. Um, I, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what this place is going to look like, you know, a handful of years down the road. So I'm right there with you, Hank. What did, what did you think? Any any hot takes? Yeah, I mean, my my initial reaction showing up on the property, um, you know, was the terrain, and I don't think the um, you know the drop down to the swamp or the rise back up really came across in in the back forty web series. Um, so that was most shocking to me. Um, it's a beautiful piece of property, and it honestly just driving up there um, and staying locally and 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 seeing the property, it it was kind of confirmation of that hunting culture that I've heard so much about and and witnessed, um, you know, through your content over the years. But um, you know, it, it kind of reaffirmed those beliefs, and then honestly. By the time we uh, we stepped off the property, I think my biggest takeaway was that you were a proud papa, and and rightfully <laughs> so. And uh, the property that I experienced was not the property that I've seen documented over the last couple of years, and I think that's a testament to the improvements and 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 you know um, 
sweat equity and everything that you've put in to the property along with all your guests and, and everything like that. But um, I saw a real transformation um, from what I've seen from day one to uh, when we left the property. Yeah, I I felt I felt the same way after after the end of our trip. And and I guess let me give the Cliff Notes version of our hunt and then you guys can add some color. But, you know, our, our hope was we would spend two days, you know, touring the farm together and then hunting it. And that would give you guys an opportunity to get to know the place, understand, you know, what this landscape was that now uh, you guys would be working with. And then also, you know, there's no better way to, to, to get to know something like this than actually sitting out there and observing it and hunting it. So we thought, hey, we know that there could be some more dome management out here. So let's utilize this time we're going to spend as a way to also achieve a management task. So my dream was, man, if we could fill three doe tags, that would be a great way to end the season. And so that's what that's what we did. We went out there that first night. And uh, first, I got to I got to before I give any more detail, I got to ask. We, we determined who was going to hunt where that night by a very competitive game of rock, paper, scissors between Hank and Nick. And Hank, ultimately, you won. My question for you, Nick, is have you spent any time kind of armchair quarterbacking your decisions, how you determined what to throw? And, and do you do you think you could have rethought your strategy as far as rock, paper, scissors to have won that? Or, or did you just slide that underneath the carpet and forget about it? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, maybe I should have put more strategy into it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, um, the psychologist in me, I guess, should have got into Hank's mind a little bit and thought about <laughs> you know, what, what he might want to throw. And so I willy nilly threw one out there and, uh, and I lost. I think I think it took us a couple rounds, but um, it was a thorough beating, and and I took it uh, took it like a man. And uh, but you know I knew I knew that uh, just about anywhere on that property was going to be good. And I especially knew Mark when you said, oh, "I'm going to sit with you on the first hunt, Nick." I thought, well, wherever they're sending me doesn't suck because Mark's coming. So <laughs> yep. I felt pretty good about it. Yep, it it, it all worked out. Um, you and I, Nick, we went and sat in the. I guess it would be the northeast corner of the property, which was the same tower blind where my dad killed his buck earlier in the year and a place that, you know, I, I'd always thought, you know, had potential. It's it's our corner tucks into a lot of really good habitat on the neighbors. And so I always envisioned if we could just improve on our side a little bit more, we would get some spillover effects from the already good stuff on all the neighbors there. And so that's what we've tried to start doing. Um, and only have only just scratched the surface there, but by adding some of these Egyptian wheat screens that started to break it up a little bit more. And by the switchgrass plantings and pollinator plantings and some treatments, we, we did to get rid of some of the other weeds. We thickened up that whole corner of that field in a decent way and then added that expanded food plot. So we had more cover out there and a pretty darn good food plot. And, uh, you know, that was certainly the ticket for us this season in that corner. We killed my dad's buck, of course. And then you and I, uh, gosh, I mean, when we're climbing into the blind, there were deer already moving in the timber adjacent to us as we were getting set up, right? I mean, it was instantly like, oh, there's deer. And uh, there was a brief break, I guess, for, I don't know, maybe an hour or so after those deer disappeared. And then all of a sudden, here comes more. Um how many deer do you think we saw, Nick? I mean, it was quite a few over over the course of the evening. 
Yeah, I got to say it was one of those hunts where I never had time to think about that it was, I think it was in the 20s that night, uh, that it was cold. Yeah. Uh, as you said, as we were getting into the, into the stand, um, we saw deer moving. And really the, what it came down to, I, I was really confident we would see a lot of activity with that cold front. Uh, it just came down to whether or not they would come into the field where the food plot was or whether they'd go stay on the neighbors and go to a cut cornfield. And so um, I think the fact that they made the choice to come our direction just speaks to what you just described in terms of the layout. Um, you, you don't, it's, you have to be thoughtful about these things and, and you clearly were. You don't, you can't just go out and throw a, a food plot in the middle of somewhere and expect it to play out. You have to think about how a scenario might play out like that. So I thought it was really cool to, to actually see it in action. Yeah, it, it was nice to see between that hunt and my dad's hunt, that this one specific location that I gave a a little bit more thought than other places, you know, specifically thinking about where I'd seen these deer coming in and out of the timber and how I would hope they'd use the terrain and then placing the tower blind on the most likely downwind side of this long skinny food plot that I hoped would bring deer in, but then move them along it. Um, It actually worked out that way both times that we, you know, spent time hunting it. And in our case, you know, Nick, uh, what was it? I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe after sitting down, this second group of deer came working our way, came all the way out of the timber. And maybe there was five, six, seven does maybe that worked their way out into our brushy field and then straight to the food plot. Um, And you were able to line up on one at, I don't know, was she maybe... Do you remember how far she was? 60 yards, 70 yards, something like that? Yeah, I think it was something in that neighborhood. We'd had the discussion in the blind just prior to that. that we, we wanted the deer to get out into the plot if we could. Uh, presented a good shot opportunity. And, you know, one, one thing that I remember, you'd ask me how many deer we thought we saw. I'm going to say we thought we saw like at least 10 deer. Uh, my memory is a little fuzzy now because it's been a little while, but it was, it was uh, no shortage of deer. And they were they were very edgy. Um, obviously, these being in in Michigan where we were with hunting pressure and whatnot. Uh, the the lead doe, actually the one I ended up taking, she was uh, very aware of uh, of that blind, and um, you know, it, it just she was not going to just willy nilly go walking out there and start feeding. And the same thing with your deer. So. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it was, it was, it was a lot of deer. And, and I thought too, uh, you know, we'll, and we'll get into Hank's story too, but walking out, I remember the number of tracks that we saw of deer that none of us would have seen from where we were that were fresh tracks from that evening. So there were, there were deer all over that place that night. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. We even, even I remember going to recover your deer, we saw more deer off in the distance than the other field running off. So yeah, they were, they were out and about that night. That's for sure. And and you got a great shot on your doe that came out with that first group of five or six or whatever. They went running back in and then maybe over the course of the next half hour or so, we spotted these deer come back out of the timber, either the same ones or different. I'm not sure which, but two deer eventually filtered out and came our direction one of them being i think it was two one of them being a a nice big mature doe and she finally stepped out and we were waiting for her to turn broadside and as we're waiting for her to turn broadside we hear a big kaboom from the next field over (laughs) and hank 
Hank yep. shot one, and then moments later, our doe finally turned, and I got a crack, and she went running off and toppled over. So that was two for two for us in our blind. Uh, Hank, what was what was the quick rundown of your night? Well, I guess we were in the honey hole, um, and uh, I think we ended up seeing five deer that evening. It was uh, it's kind of slow for the um, you know maybe first hour, and uh, actually we kind of mistook an earlier shot, I guess, from a neighboring property thinking it might have been y'all, but, um, you know, not being used to the straight wall cartridges and facing away from us and everything. When Nick later shot, we realized that that was not in fact, uh, y'all originally. And, um, <laughs> Much louder. and then a little bit later, a, uh, a doe and two fawns came from your direction, kind of surprised us. And um, eventually presented a, a nice broadside shot just down in the food plot, um, kind of where the honey hole and uh, and your wood line right there kind of bottleneck. Um, and uh, and we ended up seeing uh, two other deer other than those three. But, um, you know, just a beautiful evening um, in Michigan. And uh, I'm lucky to harvest a nice doe. It was a great it was a great night. And uh I'm going to have to apologize in advance for this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't throw you under the bus real quick, <laughs> Hank, <laughs> and talk about the most <laughs> the most explosive gutting incident I personally have ever witnessed. We're, we're watching you gut your deer. <laughs> we're watching you gut your deer, and you're doing a really great job, and you're being careful. And I think in the midst of you discussing this, we are talking about how you've had to teach so many new hunters or, you know, showcase to many new hunters, you know, through field to fork, how to do this process. And something along that line of conversation was going on. And as we're talking about like, teaching people to gut, you slit the knife a little bit, it popped the stomach and it just exploded all up your oh, arms thanks, Mark. Thanks. and your jacket. I, I mean, I've never seen anything that bad. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, how, I mean, would you describe it differently, Hank? I think that's pretty close to reality. I have, uh, I have replayed that moment in my mind, uh, you know, the, the nine-hour drive home or whatever, um, trying, you know, washing the jacket to try <laughs> to figure out what happened. Um that jacket will never go hunting ever again. It got the <laughs> scented laundry detergent, and I don't think it'll ever come out. But um, but no, you're absolutely right. You made some comment of oh, you know, great clean gutting job, and next <laughs> thing I know, there's just a, I mean, a quarter of an inch slit in that stomach, and I guess because of that small hole, I don't know if the the top of the gut hook kind of punctured the stomach or what. Um, but yes, the small hole, uh, created a pressure behind it. And I have not experienced anything like that myself either, but if there's any ever a teaching moment, I want all these potential new hunters and aspiring hunters out there to know that, you know, you can even, even, you know, all of us will make mistakes, but you know, you can get through it and the meat is still fine <laughs> and you can still take it home and serve it. For yeah. Um, Very so true. maybe it's a teaching moment, but yes, it was an an adventure. <laughs> and we, we joked during, uh, we joked after that, that I had plans of making the video that was going to come from this hunt. It was going to be seven minutes of the hunt and then seven minutes of you dealing with that mess. I can, I can now tell you, Hank, that we didn't do that to you. The video, the video is done and your gutting incident is nowhere to be seen. 
So. Oh wow! Yeah, I. Uh, it's just gonna live uh, here. I wiped it underneath the carpet. Podcast exclusive. Exactly. So <laughs> it was. Uh, it was I, a great I night. I want to rescue. I want to rescue Hank a tad here because, in full disclosure, uh, we. Mark, you and I, we got to our deer while there was still daylight. So we got to uh, to do our work while we could still see. And then in the meantime, Hanks was sitting there and, and gaining a little bit of, uh, of I guess, some, some stomach expansion while we were waiting. And then we asked him to do it dark. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll give him a, throw him a little bit of a lifeline there and say that his, his conditions for having to deal with it were a little bit tougher. There you go. That, that's a man, Hank. That's that's true leadership right there from Nick. You've got a good one. Yeah, you got a good yeah, one. I'm He's... gonna have to send him a gift or something. <laughs> oh man, it was it was a great it was a great hunt and a great visit. Um, I was really glad that you guys were able to make it down and and have that kind of introduction to the place. Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Okay, you've you've seen the farm, and we are now passing this place on to you guys, and there's there's two different sides of what, I'm envisioning happening there on the property. The first thing I'd like to hear about is how you guys are thinking about, I don't know if you, I don't think you guys know the specifics yet, but uh, I'd love to learn more about how you plan to think about the management on the farm. Like how, what are you guys thinking about doing? How are you thinking about 
continuing any of the work that we started when it came to habitat management or deer management or anything like that? You know, are you guys going to practice quality deer management practices on the place or is it different because this is going to be um, used for new hunter engagements? Uh, I've got a lot of questions just around all of that. Um, would either one of you guys want to share perspective on on what the farm looks like from that perspective? Sure, I'll take that. Um, you know, your listeners aren't aware, but I know we've engaged you in some of this. But, um, you know, we want to obviously continue a lot of what you've done on the property. Um, you know, as a, as a national, you know, deer-focused conservation organization, we teach people, you know, how to hunt all the way to habitat management and herd management and all that kind of good stuff. So, of course, we want to continue um, the improvement of the property, the management of the property that you have done. And and to do that, we're going to rely on a group of, of both kind of local and statewide volunteers, um, you know, National Deer Association members um, who, who have experience or interest um, in kind of managing the property. Um, so we've kind of convened a, a small habitat committee, as we're calling them, and plan to expand that. And of course, they're looking for for new volunteers and anybody who has interest in, in helping both from the habitat and management side to uh, you know mentoring new hunters and community engagement and all that. But um, you know, we want a seamless transition of the management and just oversight of the property, um, and, and want to continue your legacy. And so we plan to be. Um, on the ground soon with an in-person tour um, for those kind of hands-on individuals um, and kind of bring them up to speed on where we stand, um, you know, dreams that weren't realized. I mean, just as we've dealt with 2020 and, you know, it's the things that happened. Um, I know that some of your plans had to change uh, because of certain situations. And and we want to get to projects that you might have not had time to do, but to maintain a property that's as beneficial for engaging the community and mentoring new hunters, but also providing quality wildlife habitat, um, even, you know, a showcase for locals on what they can do with their properties. But um, all in all, we just want to carry on the ideals and 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 things that you incorporated in the back 40 in that project and, and make sure that we utilize the property the best we can um, for the future of wildlife and, and management in the area, but also for, for new hunters and, and deer hunting. Yeah. Would you, would you add anything to that, Nick? Yeah, I think Hank, Hank did a great job there. I'll just say that it's, it's interesting too, because as an organization, we are, we've always been about conservation, no question. But I think what people have seen about us is that we are, um, they, they saw us as being a quality deer organization, meaning big deer, that type of thing. And so um, I think that this, this property is a conservation property. It's one of the things that impressed me when I was first watching the show. You have beehives there. Uh, you know, you're, you're thinking about uh, those types of things, pollinators, tree planting. And so we want to take, this, this is this is also an opportunity for us to have people be acquainted with who we are as an organization, and, and because of the the type of following that you all get, um, and you know, not that we don't have a following either, but we think yours is different. We think it gets to the people that really need to see what we're all about. So we're also excited about it from that aspect. 
um, as well. What, on that front, you know, what would, um, when you say that, Nick, what, what specifically is it that you want these people to see about the National Deer Association? Is it, I mean, I, I can make some assumptions, some inferences, but if, if I were to say, okay, Nick, well, what is that exactly? Tell, tell us right now, you know, what is the message this, what is this message? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that. I, I have this kind of crazy vision, and I, I may have told you about it in the past, but um, I, I have a vision that someday people will join our organization while having no intention to even shoot a deer. And so they'll join because they recognize the conservation value that deer bring, and not, not just as a hunted species, but that's a big part of it. So, for example, when seven out of 10 people that hunt, hunt deer. And, and the next animal is not, not even close, not even half that. Um, that's a huge, huge piece of the pie when it comes to conservation of all wildlife species. The amount of money that goes to state wildlife agencies from sale of hunting licenses, from purchasing equipment to go hunt deer. Um, that's a, that's a huge piece and deer are critical to that. And so we need healthy deer. We need a healthy deer uh, hunting heritage and we need conservation. And that's what we're about. We, we want to achieve broad conservation, conservation of all species through the management of deer. And it's not, this is, this is not like maybe it was when I was a kid where you could just kind of take deer for granted. They were everywhere. Not to say that deer still aren't everywhere, but they're threatened by other things now. They're threatened by loss of habitat. They're threatened by things like chronic wasting disease. Uh, they're threatened by, threatened by changing weather patterns, frankly. Um, so there's just a lot out there, and, and deer need a steward. They need a spokesperson. So this is an opportunity to tell people, to tell everybody, hunter or not, deer are pretty darn important, and they're not just something that you may be you know, hit with your Buick, uh, or, you know, that, or feeding your flower garden, they're important. And I think we have a responsibility to tell people that and, and get them behind deer. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so, so I'm excited to hear Hank and, and we've already talked about some of these things and I've had some conversations with the committee, uh, but I'm excited about the ideas you guys have around trying to kind of take our initial set of plans and kind of give them jet fuel and get out there and do the things that I wish we could have, but never could have. Um, and, and I'm sure you guys are gonna have some other ideas too, bringing on the experts that you have within your teams and within your volunteer base. So all that gets me really excited. I mean, I know that what you're telling us, Nick, is something that everyone at Mediator was really excited about, which was the fact that you guys would be looking at this, you know, as a larger conservation initiative. This this isn't going to be like an exclusive property for uh, a couple of people to shoot big bucks. That's not what's happening in the back 40. This is going to be a place that is representative and it is uh, illustrative of what you can do on a property to conserve wildlife and plant life and and then also using it as an educational resource to teach other people how to think about those things in their own place or how to hunt or how to improve a piece of property or all those different things the things that we wanted to do um and and started to do it's it's exciting to hear that you're going to continue with those same um 
ideas and missions going forward and, and then putting your own spin and expertise behind it. Um, Hank, is there anything you can share as far as, I don't know, any other conversations you've had with the volunteers or the committees around some of the specific projects that folks are excited about taking on or thinking about taking on? I, 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 I got to believe that people are curious, like, hey, are they going to plant more trees? Are they going to do more food plots? Has there been any? I know decisions haven't been made, probably, but I'm just curious if there's any kind of teaser you can provide us all as far as what might year three in the back 40 look like when it comes to sending Josh Furter Hilliard out there to get to work. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, as, as you know, our guys are hungry and, and they're chomping at the bit. Um, I, I think expanding the trees, plantings on the property is a given. Um, of course, we're, we're working on the other things like a conservation easement on the property um, expanding food plots, um, doing a little bit more um, to turn the fields over to a more native plant life. Um, you know, the sky's the limit, and, and they're really excited. Um, our next step is really getting them on the property and giving them the real view. We've done a, a Zoom tour, um, but nothing will, you know, take the place of them seeing the property as we got to. Um, but you know, we, we hope to continue and, and do more and I think it'll turn into three and then four and year five and, um, gosh, only knows. Um, but we've got some real talent on the committee and some, and some people with a lot of energy and, and expertise. So, um, I have no doubt in my mind that the management of both habitat and wildlife on the property is, is looking good. Um, and of course, as Nick said earlier, we, we look forward to you continuing to check up on us. You got that, uh, that free pass anytime you want. And, uh, we look forward to keeping you posted on, uh, you know, the continued work on the property. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that too. Now here's a question, you know, old school QDM kind of ideas around, making harvest decisions on deer, there was always some people that would say, well, you got to stick to your management goals. If we're, if we're targeting, you know, three or four year old bucks, that's what everyone has to do. Um, and so there's some people that talk like that. And then there's other people that say, you know, everyone has, you know, have your own goal, but when it comes to new hunters or kids, you should really think about, you know, giving them a different entry point, you know, to have more opportunity. Um, I'm sure there's people who heard about us giving the property to the formerly known as the Quality Deer Management Association and thought, man, what does that mean for all these new hunters that suppose we're going out there? Do they have to wait do they have to wait for a big buck to come out to shoot? Or alternatively, are they going to shoot every deer they see and 50 deer are going to get killed out there next year? I've already heard like people asking like what does this mean for the deer herd? Um could, could either one of you guys, you know, clear the air on that or maybe provide some color as to some any thoughts you've had around that? I'll take a quick stab, and then Hank may want to fill in. So uh, I'm just kind of smiling as I hear you talk because I can I can see these or hear these questions coming in. And so, um, you know, every every property has its own uh, unique opportunity, and also should have its own very unique management goals. Uh, I think our goal there is. Uh, Again, it's it's it is this is a it's a vision, okay? It's a it's a it's a vision, and we want to educate 
uh, in terms of hunters on the property, I think that we want to educate people about things like uh, age structure and the importance of having a balanced age and, and sex structure in your herd. But we also have to recognize that we're working on a, a, a pretty small property in the grand scheme of things. And so that means we have limitations. You shot uh, two bucks there, Mark, that I think are pretty indicative of what is possible there um, just with patience. Yeah. And so I think that if, if we can give our participants that hunt there opportunities at they can they can shoot a yearling buck if that satisfies them, but also to potentially have an opportunity at something a little older, uh, it would be nice to tell them, hey, just so you know, here's what we know about the property based on observance and, and trail camera pictures and whatnot, but it's your decision. And so to me, uh the, the real goal there is the conservation message and to improve a property and to have happy, healthy deer. And if we can do that and also do things like uh, keep a, a good age structure and, and be able to have uh, two or three deer running around like the ones you've shot the last couple of years, I look at that as winning. I think that's a great experience for people, and uh, I think that should be our goal. That's awesome. Hank, would you add anything? Sure. Um Yes, I mean a lot of people have opinions of what we've we've you know what we've taught or what we've uh, championed over the years, and I think a lot of it is 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 a misrepresentation or just um, a little off. You know, uh, you know QDMA always said that if you protect most of your yearling bucks, you know you're doing a good thing, and and for first time hunters. Uh, we have never set any guidelines ourselves. We have obviously, you know, hosted events on properties where we went with guidelines of that property. But as as for us, I mean, um, any legal deer, you know, I, I've sat with plenty of these field to fork hunters over the years, and and it's if if you'd like to put that deer in your freezer, it's that's that's your decision, you know. Um, and all power to them, you know. Um, I, I'm a meat hunter. Um, I, I I love to shoot does, and I, you know, um, you know that's that's kind of my motivation as a hunter per se. But um, you know, I, this kind of brings me back to you know our point where you know how many people can you hunt on the back forty? And and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your intentions with the back forty project were to show what someone could do with a, a you know a, a fairly average or, or a property that is is accessible to many and, and available in many parts of this country yeah absolutely and so for for our success using the property for field to fork per se it, it will be on utilizing the property to the best of its potential but inspiring a network of back 40s both locally around the back 40 and and a patchwork throughout the country because we need you know hunters and 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 managers of the back 40s across the country to understand that they can have an impact on the future of hunting not only can they manage their property and the animals that you know know, were there but they can they can be uh, very influential locally to create community around people who are interested in learning to hunt or, you know, to mentor new hunters. And so it's really 
from our point of view, we want to take this property and take kind of your same intention, but show others that you can do this too. And, and so even at a local level, the success around the back 40 in Michigan will be the community and the patchwork even locally that we can create around it, inspire others to join us to create more hunters and create a community of, of food-focused adult hunters, you know, a diverse group of people who, who share a passion for, for hunting and, and wild foods and, and that kind of stuff, and, and also are known kind of as if you want to learn to hunt, you need to get in touch with these people. And, and really, that's, that's our intention, and that's the dream now is to create that around this opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's, I think that's spot on and it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Now for people who maybe aren't as familiar with field to fork, um, it's something that we've talked about previously on this podcast. We've talked about it in detail on the Mediator podcast, but I want to just be sure just in case people are new, they're not aware of what this program is. Can you give me the cliff notes on what the field to fork program is that you guys run? Um, just a quick overview of, of what this thing is we're talking about. And, and then we can kind of, we can then dive into how that is going to play out on the back 40. Awesome. Yeah. Field to Fork is is a modern food-focused adult learn-to-hunt program that um, we kind of created. The name started as a workshop in Kentucky in the you know mid-2000s, and with permission and everything, we took their name and, and went to the farmer's market in Athens, Georgia, just to kind of take the data and, and kind of the cultural changes we're seeing in the United States with the advent of farmer's markets and organic grocery stores and all that, you know, the, the metrics and, and, and the changing, you know, values in this country are, are bode very well for the future of hunting. People care about where their food comes from, um, you know, local, sustainable people seem to be, um, you know, yearning for a, a deeper connection with nature and, and especially after the last year, self-reliance. But we wanted to create a program that took adults you know, your most efficient audience and, and tried to create a sustainable program that created lasting hunters. And, you know, we we made our own mistakes over the early years, but after 2016 and 17, we kind of created a program that we thought worked pairing uh, local first-time hunters with local hunters who were sharing their stands and access Um and really creating community around it, you know, having organized education and shared meals and, and, and range time. And, and really, it was, it was simply about building a local community of hunters and, and, and new hunters who, who kind of shared all this infectious passion and, and, you know, memory of what it was like for them to get their first year. But, um, you know, we started with replications in 2018. We had eight programs. By 2019, we had 26 programs in 17 states. We've, you know, we, I, I truly believe that the, the most sustainable and the most lasting programs will be these community-based programs that I mentioned, where it's an extended period of, you know, learning to hunt with local new hunters and local mentors and, and sharing meals and camaraderie. It's about creating social support and, and building that confidence of these new hunters and giving them the avenues and resources that they need 
to to you know find their own path to becoming and self-identifying as a hunter. And so, you know, we've we've focused on these community kind of programs in many states, but we've also tried destination programs where we had an opportunity at a private property or or something else, a public land where we could rent cabins, where we just brought people in for four day events and, and kind of condensed everything into one. We've gotten into industry filled to forks where we've hosted programs for Ruger and Sig Sauer most recently Daniel Defense and and hoping to host one for Vortex this year. Um, but we realized quickly when, you know, even my staff was seeing what we were doing in Athens, they were interested in signing up. And so we've we hosted one for our staff and and so that's kind of what we're inspiring industry to do. Um, we've partnered with the feds and done filled the forks on national wildlife refuges um, most recently in Virginia at the Occoquan Bay National Wildlife Refuge but um, you know we're just trying to prove that that this can happen anywhere that you can get a group of people together that are fairly knowledgeable about hunting and willing to share their knowledge um, hopefully share some of their resources and their access but um, you know, we need a lot more people mentoring new hunters, um, and we need to diversify hunting, and it's a fun way to do it. Um, you know, you mentioned they can go to deerassociation.com slash FTF, build the fork, um, and you can see a video we did in 2018 or um, even a PBS episode of Reconnecting Roots um, from last year with Steve and Ryan Callahan and us. Um, as well as the previous podcast that myself and Charles were on with you. But, um, of course, 2020 kind of changed things a little bit. We had to cancel uh, um, programs that we couldn't, you know, safely socially distance or adapt. But it it created its own opportunities, and we really fleshed out kind of the remote learning and and realizing that we we can teach people about deer hunting um, hunter education. We have an online deer hunting one-on-one course that, um, with today's hunter or calchemy that's online. Um, and we were able to utilize these online resources to kind of train our hunters at home and then pair them with hunters and get them out. Um, so it, it kind of proved even more avenues and opportunities to where we, we of course want to focus on organized events, but we can also, you know, really fulfill a need for individuals, you know, anywhere where we might not have organized programs to, to help them build the confidence and, and find the avenues to, to find their way of field and, and hopefully become lasting hunters. Yeah. I, I love the program and excited to see it continue to grow. And I've always thought the, the trick has been doing what you guys are talking about doing, which is figuring out how to scale this thing and how to, how to get it so that there's more and more and more people inspired to, to help volunteer and launch their own field of fork events all across the country. That seems to be the, that's the, there's the rub is how do you get enough people and then get them the right tools to do these things themselves in partnership with you guys or whatever. Um, so I'm just kind of curious and I don't know if this is a question for you, Hank, or if it's Nick or both of you. I'm just curious, um, what's the future look like? Where do you see this in the next year or two? What's what's the next step for the Field to Fork program? Because I know what you've established, we've we've covered this in detail and why it seems to be such a uh, an idea with so much potential and that you guys have already seen such potential. But what's what is next? Where how do you take that next step? <laughs> 
I can I'll take, take a that. swing and then turn it. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was, was going to turn it over to you real quick here. I, I just I was going to say that um, scale is important, and that's why I said uh, that, that the back 40 is, is an idea, and it's an idea we need to share. Part of taking it to scale is being able to show a lot of people what it is, but then being able to help them do it on their own. There's no... Uh, there's no future of the National Deer Association. We're going to hold 500 field to fork events across the country. That's just not realistic. Uh, and we've talked about that internally, but I'll go ahead and let Hank take it from here. No, Nick's absolutely right. I mean, um, I hope 2021 gets back to you know replication mode, and and you know any of our branches, other groups, um, you know we we're happy to help people learn from what we've done, share our successes, share our failures, and hope that they can build similar programs and opportunities. Um, you know, and, and every every opportunity is unique. So that's that's the you know the biggest thing I can kind of convey to people. But um, you know, we all have to understand as, as organizations, as groups of people or even as individuals, you know, if if we take the time to do this, which you know I feel like is our duty, we can we can make strides and we have you know you know as bad as the pandemic is we saw an increase in hunting participation last year people had more time to get outside and um you know we want to make sure that you know they can continue that retention is a big thing but um all in all we want to we we've built resources there's also resources that we created with ata that are like checklists full full curriculum and, and guides to replicating field to fork. Uh, we hope to create new content and, and, and update and continue to build new resources. You know, if people are interested in signing up for a field to fork, we have been overwhelmed by people wanting to, to sign up for a field to fork. Many thanks to Meat Eater and you, but also some, some press and, and we're building ways to connect them with local mentors but you know for a new hunter who's interested um we're building out uh, deerassociation.com slash new hunter and a way that they can they can let us know where they are and what they're interested in but at the same time uh we will provide you know our free resources as well as paid resources and and other avenues that we think they can um hopefully find opportunity a field whether with us or without um, but we want to just continue to grow, build the fork, grow the content, um, and 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 make it more applicable and approachable to more people. And and the biggest thing is bringing on a mass of partners. We're working with a diverse, you know, canvas of partners in, in different states. We've never shied away from helping even states where we traditionally didn't operate in. We've we've held build the forks in Alaska. We've we've helped. You know, California R3 create programs, um, many estate agencies, but we're not trying to, um, you know, keep this internal. We just hope that we can share what we've learned, um, you know, inspire others, empower others. And, and obviously, I think if anything, we, we've showed that there's an, there's an opportunity here, that there are millions of new hunters and diverse new hunters that might not be focused on the same things that that we grew up learning to be focused on or whatever but through that diversification of hunters and and um and just that changing culture 
there's an opportunity here to have one heck of an awesome community and we're seeing it and and honestly it, it's it's much to um to what you guys are doing at meat eater and, and at wired to hunt i mean you've helped to create this entire new contingent of hunters and and spark interest in these new groups and and i guess that's the biggest takeaway and why we want to help all these other groups do this is you know there's there's such a diverse opportunity here and and, and like we mentioned with you know I've, I've spoken with ford at first light for years about the opportunities of field to fork and even the opportunity within first light to uh, mentor their own hunters and they're doing that and and steve and Giannis and you guys i mean even you this year on the back 40 you have championed mentoring new hunters and you have found that that those new hunters exist in your own you know businesses or or companies and and so that's the thing is why would we hold hold the keys to this when we really need we need first light and we need meat eater and we need every one of these groups to continue to to both look internally and look externally on ways that they can get new hunters afield and create new hunters um and, and that's really the opportunity I, lo- uh, I love it. If if someone's hearing this right now, and I want to ask you to repeat this at the end of our conversation too, but while we're on the specific topic, if someone's hearing this right now and thinks to themselves, yeah, I need to try to make something like this happen in my community or at my company or in my branch or whatever it is, um, can you repeat that resource or that landing page where people can go to get your toolkit and, and whatever it is they need to connect with you to either set up one of these events through, through you guys or to set up their own? Sure. Um, you know, if for any new hunters, it's deerassociation.com slash new hunter. And that's the quickest way to give us your information um, where you can be connected with local resources, local events, that kind of stuff. For, for groups or mentors, we, we're building out a, a mentor landing page much in the same way as the new hunter page. But as of right now, um, it is not up. If they want to email me at hank at deerassociation.com or go to the Field to Fork website, again, that's deerassociation.com slash FTF. Um, my email is all over that website. You can find all the information all the summaries of, of almost everything we've done in Field to Fork from our own uh, writings to, you know, um, covering the, the podcast we've done with you and that kind of stuff and videos that we've produced or been on. So um, there's kind of your three resources right there. Perfect. Okay, so let's let's talk about the next step, which is we kind of alluded to some things here, but let's talk specifics or at least as, as much specificity as you guys have been able to nail down yourselves. Specifically, what do you think field to fork looks on, looks like on the back 40 this year? Have you guys talked about this? Like how many hunters do you think you'll be able to have out there this year or how many different events you might be able to have out there this year? Has that been something you guys have been able to broach yet or still in the planning phases? Sure. Um, it is definitely in the planning phases, but but we're actively working on it. You know, it's our intention to host kind of that community approach, and I don't want to I don't want to rehash it too many times if people got it the first time. But you know, it's the success will come down to us utilizing the the four or five hunters we can hunt there. But you know, getting a, a group of local people with access to property or, or knowledge of public lands to take it. So 
really the sky's the limit. Um, you know, many times when we've started, you know, a first year of Phil to Fork, you know, 10 to 12 people is a nice place to start. But I think our opportunity here is larger. Um, and, and we have obviously done it in the past where we have started larger. But my intention, and really it'll come down to the amount of mentors and properties that we can recruit locally. Um, but I hope to have at least three dozen new hunters that are a part of a local community-based program around the back 40 and, and, and possibly trainings and classroom opportunities will happen right there on the back 40. But, um, you know, that number could be a lot higher. It just really depends on how many current hunters in, in you know, a half hour or an hour drive uh, will be willing to dedicate um, a couple sits of their deer season this year, um, you know, and, and offer a little bit of their uh, knowledge and, and, and confidence building to a new hunter this All right. fall. All right. So if you are listening and you live somewhere in southern Michigan or central Michigan and you would like to volunteer either as a mentor for one of these programs or, or you know, offer up your property for someone to hunt as part of one of these groups for a couple days. Uh, if, if that's you listening, listen up to this next thing, because Hank, I'd like you to tell those people if specifically somebody wants to help with this specific back 40 events that you're going to be planning out for this year, who should they, should they reach out to you directly? When should they do that? How should they do that? Absolutely. Please email me. Um, you know, we have Josh Hilliard in the state of Michigan. I mean, obviously, if they know Josh, contact him. But um, I'm happy to get those emails. Uh, we would be so appreciative to anybody, whether you're familiar with the National Deer Association or not, whether you're a, you're a member of another group or, or just an individual out there. Um, you know, we're a firm believer in cooperative approach. We can do more with more people and bringing groups together. Um, and so absolutely please reach out to us and feel free to email me at Hank at deer association.com. Great. Now guys, everyone listening, this, this is the part where you really got to step up because you know, like, like Hank mentioned the back 40, it's, 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 Oh, <laughs> someone's excited. <laughs> uh, well, we got to sign up already. All right. He's in, um, what I was going to say is that the back 40, it's only 64 acres. So like you said, there's there's only so many people that can be on there at any given moment in time. But if you have a handful of other properties in the general area, you can have a bunch of hunters come in for a weekend event and have five of them or four of them on the back 40 and four of them on another property and four of them on another property. And then maybe the next day you cycle out and other people get to see the back 40, or maybe you do a classroom approach like you talked about, but you need this volunteer base. You need the other nearby properties to build something like this out. And so I think that the wire dunt listeners, this is a great opportunity to step up and be a part of this. You you've seen us doing the back 40 thing. Um, you've heard me talk about it. Now I personally I'm asking you to be a part of it. This is your opportunity to be a part of this thing, uh, to to do something that's really good and useful and and meaningful for the future of deer and deer hunting. Helping new people get to know this thing that we all know is so special. Deer, deer hunting, wild places. Let's share that. And this is a neat way to do it. 
And it's something that I'm excited to help continue telling the story around. Uh, we are going to be continuing to partner with you guys at the National Deer Association around the Back 40 Project. We're launching something we're calling the Back 40 to Fork Project, which is basically combining Back 40 with Field to Fork um, in a really maybe not terribly creative way. We just smashed the two words together. But, um, you know, what what we want to do is continue to support these educational efforts that you guys are going to be leading, support these mentorship programs. I personally am going to be out there and participating in some of this mentorship stuff. Um, we're still hashing out some of the details, but I know that Hank, you guys and the team are are working to select a new hunter who I will mentor throughout different parts of the season. I'm going to get out there for some mentorship educational events in the summer with this person or persons. Uh, I'm going to do another mentored hunt with someone on the property this fall um, in collaboration with you guys. So we at Meat Eater and I personally am, am really excited to keep this momentum going. And uh, I'll, I'll drop it in here again. I already mentioned it at the top of the episode, but I'll say it one more time. Uh, we're so excited about this that we've round up all sorts of our partners to put together a, a very uh, compelling giveaway to just kind of celebrate like, hey, this is a this is a great thing that we're starting here with the National Deer Association. So if you go to com slash fork, you can enter this giveaway. Uh, I got to thank our friends over at Can-Am. They did make this possible by giving us the resources to put all these things together. We're going to be giving away all whole first leg gear kit, a Weatherby rifle, uh, $500 worth of federal premium ammo. You can't get ammo anywhere these days. <laughs> That's a big thing. Uh, a Benchmade meat crafter knife, an Onyx Elite lifetime membership, FHF bino harness, Vortex binos. Uh, and then that's just for the grand prize winner. Then there's two more runner-up winners. And each one of those three winners gets to nominate a new hunter, that they know of in their life or someone who's interested in getting involved in hunting, you nominate someone and we are going to gift that person a new hunter gift package that includes uh, an Onyx membership, a new Benchmade knife, knife sharpener, some some other educational resources, some cool stuff like that. So so we're doing that because we're, we're excited about this. This makes a lot of sense. It's a great way to keep this thing moving forward in a positive direction. And, and you guys are the right partners to help us do that. So I, I, I'm just excited to see where this goes. I'm excited this year to keep working on the farm and keep bringing new people out and showcasing what's possible and, and introducing people into this community and this family we have around hunting, because it's, it's the best thing that's happened in my life is getting to know other hunters and becoming a hunter myself and being immersed in the wild in wild places and, and learning about deer and chasing deer and being outside like that stuff made me who I am. And I'm so so fortunate that I had a family that introduced me to that. There's a lot of people out there that didn't have that luxury. So I just personally feel so strongly that I was gifted that I got I've got to gift it on to somebody else. And so this is, uh, this is a way that we can all kind of do that in our own way. And, uh, Hank and Nick, I'm just, I'm excited that you, that you're helping us do that. Thank you. It's exciting. Well, and, you. you know, I guess, guess the other bottom line is it's a heck of a lot of fun. So, you know, join us. It's fun. It may be the most rewarding thing you do as a deer hunter, but I guarantee you it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So 
we've covered our hunt on the back 40. We've covered uh, the property management kind of vision moving forward. We've talked about some of the specific ideas you guys are going to be working towards on improving the place. We've talked about, you know, what field the fork is going to look like on the farm in these coming years. Is there any anything else, Nick or Hank, that you guys want to touch on, to leave folks with, to reiterate? Um, what do we miss when it comes to the back forty in its future? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we've missed anything. We've we've covered a lot here. Um, I just want to say, from our perspective, we certainly appreciate the partnership, and that's really what this is. I mean, there's the initial partnership that that we have with the Deer Association and, and Meat Eater and Back Forty. But the partnership certainly extends beyond that. You mentioned the number of sponsors that are going to help put off what is sounds like an outstanding uh, giveaway. I wish I was eligible. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and, and it takes those people too. Let's not forget those sponsors that are behind us and then the volunteers that Hank mentioned earlier um, that are going to help bring the back 40, uh, continue to bring the back 40 along. Uh, and then there, there are these people in these companies uh, locally all across the country that do that. So I think it's it's incumbent upon all of us to keep the fire burning. I think I heard in one of your recent shows, Mark, where you talked about that, the responsibility of, of doing more. We have that responsibility now, and I think that's what this is all about. So it's just sort of a rallying call to say, let's all do more, even if it's just one more thing, and we'll all be better off for it. Yeah, absolutely true. All right, guys. Well, I... I guess I want to give you one more chance. I know you just did it, but I just want to make sure everyone hears any final action item or final URLs. We want to make sure everyone has got written down top of mind. Hank, do you want to recite those just one last time before we sign off? Absolutely. Again, anybody willing to take a new hunter afield, um, whether they have property or, or need access or any new hunter who's interested in signing up, um, for the new hunters, it's deerassociation.com slash new hunter. For information on field to fork, um, it's deerassociation.com slash FTF. And to contact me for any of it, it's hank at deerassociation.com. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that, Hank. Thank you, Nick, for everything, for your leadership on this. And, and thank you both for for taking on this project and, and taking it to its its next chapter. We're, we, like I mentioned at the top, all of us here at Meter are, are thrilled uh, to have such a great set of new parents for our baby. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching from both afar and from right up close on the ground again over the coming year and years as we... Uh, we see where we can take this thing. So thanks a lot. Thank you to you. All right. And that's a wrap. I don't want to talk too much right now because I want you to remember those links that Hank just told you. So go on over, get the information you need. Please volunteer if you can. And finally, one more link. If you want to sign up for that giveaway I mentioned at the top, go to themeateater.com slash fork. And with that, Thanks all for listening. I appreciate you. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.